podcast starts. Hello everyone, you're listening to T.D. Velasquez, but please call me Dan. There aren't going to be other voices later, but for a few moments it's just me to put this episode into context. This isn't a regular episode, our regular shows come out on Friday evenings UK time. But as you might have gathered from my chat with Kirsty in our introductory episode, in addition to the new episodes we'll be recording, we have a lot of previously released material we'll also be adding to this podcast feed, and this is one such example. You see, this Friday, as our second regular episode, we're releasing a long-worked-on, in-depth episode focusing on 1982's controversial sequel that isn't a sequel, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Back in 2018, we uploaded to YouTube reviews of the previous films in the Halloween series, the 1978 original, and the first sequel from 1981. They're still on YouTube at our channel, Ambidextrous Solutions Limited, so it's possible you have already heard them, but it seems sensible to re-release them on this feed, with slight contextual edits for the sake of completionism. So, here's our discussion of 1978's Halloween, and the Halloween 2 episode will follow shortly, in time for Friday's Halloween 3 special. Howard and I did in fact record discussions about every single film in the Halloween series, up to and including David Gordon Green's confusingly titled Halloween from 2018, and all of these will appear on this feed at irregular intervals leading up to the eventual release of the as yet unreleased sequel, Halloween Kills. We were joined by a variety of interesting guests, starting in this episode with another Dan. Spider Dan, in fact, presenter of the wonderful comic books and cult films podcast, Spider Dan and the Secret Boars, to which we'll put a link on our website. We were also joined by writer and artist Steve Timms, who joined in halfway through because he arrived early for our recording about Halloween 3. Prepare for a very enthusiastic talk between the four of us about a film we all love. Please bear in mind that at the time of recording, Halloween 2018 had not yet been released, so we mention it but only to speculate about what it will be like. You'll have to wait until later in the year to find out about what we thought on seeing the film. Right, that's enough context, I think. Over to Howard. He summed up his feelings about John Carpenter's Halloween with such passion that I thought it would be good to open with that, along with a blast of Carpenter's immortal score. The great thing about Halloween is its simplicity. It's such a simple story. It's so elegant, and it's so stylish, it's so kind of stylized. What I would say about Halloween is it's not about the killings, it's about the bits in between the killings, it's about the build-up to the killings. John Carpenter, one of his greatest gifts was being able to generate atmosphere. His films are so atmospheric. You know, they're so suspenseful, they're so tense, and and, and you're kind of sitting there watching what's going to happen next. And our first special guest is here right now. He's another Dan. Welcome, Dan, for being our first guest on the Halloween podcast. Why, I am honoured. Thank you for having yes, me. Yes, thank you for coming, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. Relatively sober. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes a difference for me. <laughs> uh, 
not to be intoxicated in any way. Obviously, I put a call out on Facebook for people who are fans of the Halloween franchise. It was a bit like this. <laughs> yes, it was essentially. So that like the age. News team assemble. <laughs> they all came running out of the. the Everyone went. I love it. <laughs> all of them. I love them. Uh, you were one of the respondents. Yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Dan, and, um, and your connection to the, the franchise. Halloween franchise. Okay, well, uh, like yourselves, like you said, uh, I am a huge film fan, film buff, uh, cult films more so than, you know, the regular farce. And I'm not that much into the English period dramas, really. Okay. Uh, not my thing. Anything with a bit of blood and guts, and um, <laughs> I, I like something with a bit of energy. Um, you like yeah, a bit of edge? Yes, I'm, I'm a little, yeah. I'm, I'm not that edgy myself, but I like things with edge. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm an actor as well. Um, I follow, you know, kind of older, you know, slightly kind of to the left-hand side kind of actors. So I think people like Lance Henriksen, yeah. um, oh, right. Robert Englund, those are kind of, those, it, those are my acting heroes, really. Those kind of, you know, the B-movie actors. Brad Dourif. Yeah, Brad Dourif, yeah. Um, you know, Bruce Campbell. Everybody everybody in the kind of B-movie cult. Yeah, I love the sphere. Well. I really, yeah. they're, they're some of the best, you know, people. Um, I'm there with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I'm an actor as well. So yeah, I do a bit of that here and there. Um, I'm big comic book fan as well, which kind of kind of kind of slides into my cult obsession, I think, as well, because a lot of the cult movies are a bit comic booky in the way, and you know, yeah, about and supernatural by comic books. Yeah, yeah. Halloween uh, for me is kind of. I always used to see the kind of the DVD covers and the, the VHS covers when I was a kid, and they always kind of fascinated me. This kind of blank, white, expressionless guy with a knife you know? it's, it's like it's so bizarre and so I'm saying and like for me as a child I'm like you know I'm scared of that but I'm excited by it I'm like I'm interested um, so I think that's where the fascination started is kind of those kind of classic posters that we saw in those images um, you know and 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 I think it's the same with all the kind of horror characters that kind of I mean you go to conventions now and you see mums and dads and kids dressing up like um, you know, the child murderer, yeah. Freddy yeah. Krueger, you know, and you yeah. think, maybe you yeah, shouldn't so be dressing up as the, the <laughs> paedophilic killer, maybe. Um, but that's, that's their, their choice. I mean, I, I, was in a, I was in Alton Towers once, and there was, I was doing the Mike the Night Show, and it was Halloween, and, so, and there was Freddy Krueger sat on the front row, and I'm like, there's a mum looking after her kids, and I'm like, this is a bit odd. <laughs> um, but yes. So, yes, I find that a bit odd. So yeah, I think, I, and I think, you know, as, as, a, as a child and into adolescence, I kind of went, right, so all these films that I'd looked at as a kid and was kind of a little afraid of and a little excited by. The great thing about Halloween is it's simplicity. And, it's and such Halloween a simple story. The first ones it's so elegant and, and it's so stylish, it's so kind of stylized. What, what I would say about um, Halloween is it's not yeah, about the killing, like it's about to it the bits in between the killing. Seen, John Carpenter, the his gift was being able to generate His films are so atmospheric. You know, they're so suspenseful, they're so um, tense, and you and no, um, I remember, I remember kind of the sitting there watching what's going to happen next. Um, but the it's the first one for me. That's that's the that's the one. Good man. I, I, I get where you're coming from exactly with the whole kind of uh, the response to the, the video shop graphic art yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. The one that I always remember from my childhood is House. 
Which yeah. Is, I've never the, seen the film. No, neither have I. But I remember the, the finger is pushing, yeah. pushing the bell doorbell or something. Yeah, and it's like a weird severed rotted hand. severed hand yeah. with steel coming through it. I think, I think that's that that kind of again like with my comic book obsession that kind of because it was back in the day all the posters were kind of hand drawn, weren't they? There was never photos and mm. things like that. It was always hand drawn. Yeah, yeah. Kind yeah. of beautiful. Like Star Wars is the classic yes. hand drawn poster, isn't it? Um, and I think that kind of that kind of that image, those images, kind of like took me into the kind of that world slowly but surely. Um, but yeah, beautiful, beautiful posters. I'd, I'd rather have, I'd rather see a hand-drawn poster than any of the modern posters now. He's gone. He's gone from here. The evil is gone. Uh, nice one, Dan. So, Howard, how about yourself? What, what was it that drew you to Halloween? In well, I don't know. I was trying to remember the first time I actually saw it. It would be when I was a teenager, I suppose. It would be. I know it came out on video. When a selfie videos first came out, you could buy videos for 9.99. Halloween and American Way Up in London and Howling nice. were the first ones that come out, and I bought them all. So I think it might have been, I don't know whether I first saw it on the telly or first saw it on video, but it's just, I mean, it's just, and as a horror film fan, but somebody who grew up on the British tradition of the Dracula films, the Hammer yeah. films, the Frankenstein films, this perhaps wasn't quite my thing, but when I watched it, I thought, this is absolutely brilliant. This is brilliant because it's so, so, I mean, uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, John Carpenter is one of the best directors in the world. There's no doubt about that. Assault on Precinct 13 is a masterpiece. The Fog is a masterpiece. The thing we talked about. Uh, but Halloween is sort of, probably is his most famous film. It's his masterpiece. And it's just, the great thing about Halloween is its simplicity. It's such a simple story. It, there's, no, there's no gimmicks and there's no, uh, you know, it's just, it's so elegant and it's so stylish. It's so kind of stylized and it's just, it is a simple story, but then that's, what I always say about Halloween is it's not about the killings, it's about the bits in between the killings, it's about the build-up to the killings. John Carpenter, one of, the, one of his greatest gifts was being able to generate atmosphere. His films are so atmospheric, you know, they're so suspenseful, they're so tense, and you're, and, and you're kind of sitting there watching what's going to happen next. You're not, you're not sort of just waiting for the next kill, you're just waiting, what is he going to do next? What's going and the first time I saw it, I thought, this is just brilliant. This, this is so well made. And, it's and interesting enough, uh, when my nephew, Elliot, was about 14, 15, he watched Halloween. And he was fascinated by it. He loved it. Fascinated by the character of Michael Myers. And he watched other more explicit horror films like Friday the 13th. And you might think at that age, that's what you want. You want good. But no, he loved Halloween. He said, these aren't as good. Halloween is the best film. Michael Myers is so fascinating. Not because he's so sadistic and killing everybody, but because he's so mysterious and enigmatic and strange and you don't know what he's going to do. And yeah, and I thought, well, if uh, somebody who was, uh, he was 15 about 10 years ago, so only 10 years ago, can appreciate a film that was made in 1978 like that, then there must be something about Halloween that is really, I think it's a great, I think it's a great film. I was very annoyed because in one of my film books, there's the, Brit the American Film Institute's 400 best films they've chosen. And it's all these Citizen Kane's and all that sort of. Uh, and Halloween wasn't on it, Assault of Precinct 13 wasn't on it, and Fog wasn't on it. And I thought, that's, there's no John Carpenter stuff on this list at all. You've got 400 films in, and there's not a single John Carpenter. Rosemary's Baby's on it, Alien's on it. And I thought, that's, that's terrible. John Carpenter was one of the best directors in the world at that time. He, he was brilliant at what he did. And I just think, is he still not appreciated even now at what, what he did? Because Halloween changed. It wasn't the first slasher film, but it, it, it was the one that sort of, it was kind of seminal. It's one that influenced all the others. So, I mean, there was a spate of slasher films after Halloween. None of them was good, none of them was... Because they misunderstood what Halloween was about. They thought Halloween was about the killing, and it's not Halloween, it's about the <laughs> I think, 
I love your passion, Howard. I think yeah. the, the, the listener might be getting a little bit of a hint that we all are quite fond of the first film. Yes, this, this is so. going to be a very adoring so, yeah. thing. There's, no, there's not going to be any criticism. Should we just do it on the first film, all, the, all these? Just, <laughs> just forget the rest. Just, yeah. just carry on. Just, just, just do eight, nine, ten hours on, on Halloween. <laughs> I could. I could. I could. Um, Who could have? <laughs> so I feel like I should say a little bit about what brought me to Halloween yes, in the first place. My exposure to Halloween was um, uh, as a teenager, I knew I was a film fan and I was just becoming a John Carpenter fan. I'd seen The Thing and Escape from New York on television. And I sort of loved them, but not quite. But I could tell that they were different. There was something interesting about them. And I wanted to see Halloween because I'd heard it was a classic film. And I also was aware that supposedly it had loads of sequels, but the sequels were awful. But I thought, I don't, I don't need to see the sequels. I'll just see the original. Although the strange thing was the original ended up being like kind of a gateway drug and they ended up watching <laughs> all the sequels because you just think, well, I'll just try the next one. Yeah. You know, because mm. the, some, the first one had, did something which made me want to go back mm. um, and they ended up, ended up watching all of them. Um, and, and obviously, you know, we'll go into that. I remember very specifically how I watched Halloween. I didn't have Sky TV. But my sister did, and she taped it for me off UK Gold. <laughs> um, it was on UK Gold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> UK, it was in 1996. UK Gold was the only TV channel which showed Halloween on Halloween night. So you know, um, so it was just like that was when I was in the mood. It, that's um, kind of like the, when the, they show Watership Down on Channel Five at Easter. Right. <laughs> They've done that twice, huh. two years in a row, and I think it's brilliant. You know, well, they always show Heroes of Telemark at Christmas because there's snow in it. Right, yeah. you know, they're in Norway, so mm-hmm. kind of this is. I thought, well, that, that's sort of festive in the snow. Yeah, in a way. It's not very Christmassy because it's no. about no, more blowing like, up the factory. But... I mean, they should put Silent Night, Deadly Night, really. <laughs> exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah, well, they should put that one every night. I did watch Black Christmas at Christmas in about yes. 1998, Channel 4, I think. Mm. So good. And we should obviously talk about that because that's a forum as yeah. Halloween. Mm. Some people think it's better than Halloween. <laughs> they're wrong. Yeah, they're wrong. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Well, no, Sorry, no, you're wrong. It, it's strong. No, it's very strong. But no, I enjoyed it, and mm. it does have the late great Margot Kidder. I that's think. right. That's yeah. right, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, she's she's the uh, she's the uh, quintessential bitch mm. in that one. Right. Yeah. Okay. And also um, Olivia Hussey, I think. Oh yes. Um, yes, yeah, great cast. And John Saxon. Yeah. He was a bit of a horror. He was uh, he was the cop in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah. Was, it was the dad. He was the dad. He was the dad. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I haven't seen Black Christmas for 20 years, but I remember it well oh, enough, I think. I, su- I saw it about four or five years ago for the first time. It blew me away. Right. So good. Yeah. So, so good. There was a terrible remake. remake. I know, I haven't seen that. You can say that <laughs> every horror film. You could, yeah, you could yeah. easily. Um, sadly, including Halloween. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. Um, uh, yeah, uh, the other thing I, I strangely remember about Halloween was that it was the last film I saw before I had glasses. I, I went to the optician. <laughs> I, don't know why, I, don't know why, I don't know why I thought you were going to say before I had sex. At <laughs> <laughs> the optician. <laughs> uh, it's all that yeah. penetration, I think. <laughs> well, it's, they say it's a seminal film. They certainly do. <laughs> Enough of such talk. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. So what you get when you bring me aboard a, a podcast. I'll be right back. Don't get dressed. So, something you mentioned, Howard, was the simplicity of the story, and I, and I wanted to uh, use that as the starting point for the discussion, really. Because basically, obviously, you can sum up any film in any amount of detail, but Halloween is a pretty simple plot. 
And, and therefore I thought, I'll go to one of my favourite sources, which we've talked about on our podcast before, Halliwell's Film Guide, because that sums up the plot of every movie in a sentence. But with Halloween, it, it can be pretty sure that that sentence kind of covers everything. Yeah. <laughs> and the sentence is just this. In a small Illinois town, a mad killer escapes from the asylum. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there's more to the film than that, but that is the basic plot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even in 1978, there'd be probably been a million films that could follow that description, such as Black Christmas. Yeah. It's not yeah. too far away. Um, but what is it about Halloween that that, is, that makes it so strong? That, that, that makes it fascinate us and what did John Carpenter and not just John Carpenter but the other people who were involved in the production bring to it the idea for the movie didn't come from Carpenter it came from the producer Erwin Yablans he was a, an independent American film producer he'd seen Assault on Precinct 13 and he had an idea for a cheap horror movie and he was going to call it The Babysitter Murders and, and it was Mad Killer Escapes and Stalks and Babysitters that was his plot um, then he had the idea actually you know what we'll set it on Halloween and call it Halloween because mm-hmm. he, he, he researched it and was astonished to realise there'd been no movie called Halloween mm-hmm. until that point and he went to Carpenter with that plot and Carpenter needed work he, I think <laughs> he, he, he'd just done Elvis the movie for TV um, and uh, he was 30 at that, at that okay. time same age as he did yes um, I'm, I'm waiting for my uh, big break. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so was I when I was thirty. Yeah, um, and basically, Cameron said, "I'll do it uh, on two conditions. One, I want approval of final cut. Uh, and two, I want." And this was his genius. I think he said, "I want my name above the title." So he wanted to go for the kind of Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest mm, yeah. thing. Um, and Yablins went, "Okay, cool." Uh, and uh, and that's what started the ball rolling, but so that's how that the idea was kind of crystallised into a, into a movie. But what do you guys think are the the elements which make it special? I mean, how are you painted it? Well, no, I just think it's um, it's not so much the plot; it's what you do with the plot uh, and how you direct it. And it's it again, just as I said, it's just creating this atmosphere and creating this suspense of not knowing. See. Michael Myers is, is a fascinating character. Most serial killers in most of the rip-offs that came off are not. They're just homicidal maniacs. They kill people. But Michael Myers is this kind of, like he says, this unknowable... I mean, what is he? is he? Is he a demon in human form? Is he just psychologically disturbed? Uh, Kim Newman said on the commentary for Halloween 2 or 3, I can't remember, he said, the thing about Michael Myers, you've got to remember, this is Halloween. And Michael Myers, he's not just killing these kids. He's, he's playing tricks on them. He's playing games with them. Mm. You know, there's the famous scene where... It, he kills the idiot boyfriend, sticks yeah. him to the wall. And then he opens the door, P.J. Sells is lying on the bed, and he's got the sheet over his head and the glasses on. And I think, why the hell is he doing that? What's that about? He's, he's playing with these yeah. people. He's messing with them. If he was just a homicidal man, I could run in and kill her, and that would be it. But yeah. he did. So, 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 I, so I was going to say that he, there is a, a childlike, yeah. I don't want to say innocence, but there's a childlike quality to him, especially like when he, yeah, he stabbed, like you were saying, the Bob, I think the Bob, the Bob, it's Bob, I think it's called yeah, Bob. Bob. Yeah, yeah, boyfriend. Bobby or whatever his name, when he, during his death and into PJ Sol's death, there's, you know, he stabs him, you know, he's quite violently stabs him and skewers him to the yeah. door, but then he stands back tilts his head almost like like a child would or yeah. a dog or a dog would uh, to kind of understand what they've done they're like oh I've done this oh and then kind of takes it in it's like the rage has subsided yeah. it's kind of almost 
post-coital, if you will. Yeah. He had the big... But that's what makes him fascinating. Then, why does yeah. he do? Why, what, and then, what does and he see? then he dresses... I mean, he's already dressed up anyway. Yeah. There is, like... I mean, he's been in asylum all his life. And like Loomis says, he's literally just stared at wall, past the wall, yeah. you know, to this night, this very night, yeah. the night he came home. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, you know, he dresses up like a ghost. There is absolutely no need for him to no, dress no. up. No, no. Why, gla- why did he even put the glasses on? It's <laughs> what's that? He's got a sense of humour. It's, it's a very great, twisted sense of humour. It's a great blackly humour, yeah. humorous touch that kills the guy, takes his glasses <laughs> off, puts a sheet over himself, and then puts the guy's yeah. glasses on huh. over the sheet. And he's, he's cut holes in the sheet. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. He's, yeah. Like, but he's like, he's like, I'm going to play the game. I'm going to do the, you know. And, he, and the whole stalking, like kids would follow, you know, as kids you would follow each other and you'd play hide and seek. That's what he's doing throughout the entire film. Yeah, he's, play, he's playing with these people, yeah. playing tricks with them. It's Halloween night. He's exactly. Halloween pranks. Trick, 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 and tr- trick, um, or, trick or treat. Trick or treat, yeah. There's no treats, really. No, there's no treats. The treat yeah, is so. the film, all the yeah. tricks. <laughs> well, the treat is a knife. Although, have you ever read Roger Ebert's review of Halloween? I haven't. He, he, he thinks it's great, but he basically says, don't go and watch it, because it's so frightening. <laughs> it's, the last line of the review is, I would like to be absolutely clear on this. If you do not want to be absolutely terrified, <laughs> don't go and see this film. That's like, that's like the, uh, it reminds me of the um, Wes Craven, uh, Last House on the Left. It was like, it's only a movie. Yeah. It's only a movie. <laughs> it's a great slogan, that, yeah. absolutely. Um, but it is scary. This film is scary. Yes, yes. No, when, when I was watching it the other night, I thought, this is scary. I'm, I've seen this film loads of times, but I, I feel unnerved by it. Well, he, I, I know what's going to happen, but I still, yeah. you know, kind of, uh, I'm so into it that I'm... Uh, That's what I was, still, I was saying just before the podcast to, to, to Howard. I was saying that every time I watch John Carpenter's The Thing, mm-hmm. I forget who it is. I forget, like, they get to the mm-hmm. scene where they're all tied up and they're testing the blood, and I'm like... Who is he? I'm like, I can't remember. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, he comes out and he attacks every, everybody. But I, every time I forget, and, I, and I've seen that movie hundreds of times, I can't remember, I couldn't even tell you how many times, but every time I'm like, is it this? Is it that? Is he doing this? Is it, is it him now? Is it, you know? And I think that's what's good about John Carpenter. As much as you've seen his stuff, you come back to it and you, you kind you know and you remember, but you also forget. I think there's maybe something about the fact. Uh, in that film on Halloween and m- many of the others, he's so good at using the wide frame, the yeah. widescreen frame, oh, yeah. that there is always details that you don't spot. Mm. And then when you watch it again, you're noticing different things, you know, and it kind of draws you in a bit more. It maybe makes you forget something that you did know or, or makes you ask what yeah. you haven't done before. It's, um, it's like there's some things you can watch and you can appreciate second or third viewings, like comedies, you've missed jokes. Or you know, missed a moment or a second, or even you know, a look or a twitch or a, mm-hmm. a wink, whatever. Like, there's something about rewatching something again and again which makes you, you know, appreciate it. Some films, the opposite can happen. You're like, it's not as good as I remember, or you know. But Halloween is one of those films where you can find more and more as you watch it. Yeah, yeah, and it still stays fresh. Somehow, it just it's it's still as scary. It's as <coughs> powerful and effective as the first time you see it. And this is the great. I can't explain. How that's done, I, I just know that when you've got a really great filmmaker, that's what they can do. They well, can make something still seem as good as when... To follow on from your point there, we've talked about the fact that it's scary. We've talked about Michael Myers as a fascinating character. Um, but, but it's weird that, in a way, the scary moments that we, we've mentioned and the stuff focusing on Michael is a very small part of the actual oh, yeah. film. So how does that contribute, the, the use of the other characters, the use of... I think you mentioned earlier how you said it's not about the killings, it's about the bits inside yes, the yeah. killings. 
So how, how does that contribute to it, do you think? Well, um, we're talking about the other characters. I mean, first of all, you've got Jamie Lee Curtis, who yes. we all... I do remember when I was a teenager, Jamie Lee Curtis and Kathleen Turner did make quite an impression upon I imagine, I imagine. I used to think about this. It's quite a lot. To be fair, for me, for me, the Jamie Lee Curtis, for me, was uh, True Lies. That made an impression yeah. on me. I think more or less any, anything. She's yeah, in the there's, there's a film called Perfect where she does some aerobics. Really? Yeah. Oh well. But perhaps this is. Uh, <laughs> we're going into no, no, Jamie Lee Curtis. She's got she's, star quality yes, in this film. She's you can tell why she went yeah. on to be a big star. Oh yeah. And she's a more interesting character than a lot of the heroines who, yes. in later film, the actresses are stuck with just very bland characters. In those yeah. Films. Jamie Lee is playing. I the three girls—they're all really good. Just before we go on here, I think I think perhaps now is the moment that we acknowledge that obviously we're. Three uh, straight white guys. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, um, As if they didn't yeah. already know. I wasn't until I saw Jamie Lee Curtis. But uh, yeah, and uh, I'm hoping that there will be more diverse voices we later have, in we the have. podcast. Um, and these movies do appeal to a diverse yeah. audience. Yeah, yeah, they do. And I, and I think I really want to hear from them, I know, mm. because this movie is one which is. Uh, has a huge appeal. Well, let me just say, I find Donald Pleasance very attractive as well. Yes, I mean, he's a sexy, <laughs> sexy. <laughs> hey, Linda, Lori, why didn't you wait for me? We did, 15 minutes. You totally never showed. That's not true. Here I am. What's wrong, Annie? You're not smiling. I'm never smiling again. Paul dragged me into the boys' locker room. Exploring uncharted territory. It's been totally charted. Just Sure, sure. Uh, watch, watching a documentary, and I realised how much of a hand um, Deborah Hill had in this. Mm, yeah. Uh, who was literally? Yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was the little. Huh. That's why the. Uh, that's why she has such, like, Michael Myers has such a lovely manicured hand <laughs> in those early oh. shots. Um, but she, you know, she co-wrote, co-produced. You know, she was very much involved in this piece. And when it came to writing the script. She wrote the majority of the dialogue between the, the, the three main leads, the three girls mm-hmm. in the part. And, you know, and it's realistic dialogue. It makes, you know, people, women, girls would talk about yeah. that age, those kind of things, you know, having sex with boys and proms and all that, and homework and cheerleading, you know, and it's all realistically, you know, even the, the dialogue is so tight and so realistic. And, and that's what is missing, like you say, from a lot of the other slashers. Well, I just think you, you like these three girls. Yeah. They're very sympathetic, very engaging. You like them. There's Nancy Loomis, who's the Saki one. Yeah. There's PJ Souls, who's the ditzy one. Mm-hmm. And there's Jamie Lee, who's the sensible one. Mm-hmm. But they're all kind of, and that makes them such a sound stereotypes, but they're, they're more than that. You just, you just, I think in a lot of modern horror films, you don't really care about the people. You're not supposed to. No. Because such terrible things are going to happen to them that they're deliberately not made. To yeah, they're, they're usually made to be horrible, horrible people. So when they do get killed, you're like, oh, I'm glad she's yeah, dead. Yeah. Or, or I don't care. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just, just see like, how they die. He was a creep. I'm glad he's, you know, been killed, you know. But this, and if you, if you didn't care about them, then Halloween wouldn't be as effective as it is, but because you do, because you mm. don't want anything to happen to them, that's why you get so involved in it. This, I think this is where the slow, methodical mm. pace of the film helps, because yeah. you spend more time with the characters, you feel their plight, you feel the struggle, you feel, and you, and you get to know them as well, yeah. even their foibles, you know, they're not perfect characters, of course, like, they're not the perfect people, but that's what makes them more interesting. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're the, likeable. One's the, the, you know, the cheerleader, yeah. one's the, you know, the sarky bitch, one is the, is the good girl, and that's kind of qualities of everybody's personality. I know I'm all three. 
<laughs> and I'm but not. you get a very strong sense that they are very good friends to each yes. other. Yes. Even though, you know, there are points in the movie where Nancy Loomis's character yes. is quite manipulative of Laurie, isn't she? Yeah. She, she, she's like, yeah. I'll tell, I've told Ben Trayman you'll go to the prom with yeah. him, so you've got to babysit Lindsay so I can have sex. I spilled butter all over my clothes that are in the wash. I got stuck in the water. Well, I'm tell you something. I'd like you to call Ben Tramer and tell him that you were just fooling around. I can't. Yes, you can. <laughs> no, he went drinking with Mike Godfrey and he won't be back till late. You'll have to call him tomorrow. Besides, I'm on my way to pick up Paul. Wait a minute. If you watch her, I'll consider talking to Ben Tramer in the morning. Deal. <laughs> yeah, but, but I always think Nancy Loomis is doing that because she really wants Jamie Lee to yeah, like Ben Tramer. Yeah, she wants actors to go out to somebody, happy, so yeah. it's, it's, she's kind of doing it for her as well. That's a really good point, actually. It's, it's strange. I love all those characters and those actors. Some of the actors, not Jamie Lee Curtis usually, no. the others get flack sometimes. Right. Um, and I do think that the movie is like not hyper-realistic, naturalistic. It's not like a slice of life. The way that the characters interact doesn't feel as realistic as something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. No, probably not. But. but I do think that it feels like a kind of campfire tale where you know who all the characters are yeah. and you care about them. True. Um, and that's that's the it's, purity of it. Yeah, it's, it's a heightened it's a heightened reality, I think. It's not yeah. too far from the, the realism that, that we crave, that we want. The place for me where the cracks show is the small bit part characters who are dubbed not very well. <laughs> Um, like the, the, the man playing Laurie's father at the very start of the film who you yeah. never see again and he comes out and goes don't forget to drop the key off at the Myers place oh, and you can kind yeah. of tell that it's not his yeah, voice it's, it's um, and also the, the school teacher in the otherwise great scene yeah. Yeah. and the book ends but what Samuels is really talking about here is fate you see fate caught up with several lives here. Even um, the Maya sister and her boyfriend at the start, mm. they're dubbed pretty terribly as well. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're they're you can't get away with it because they're far away yeah. from the camera. But, but another, another thing about that point of view shot is the time it takes for them to run, they're like, let's go upstairs. Oh yeah. Upstairs. But the time, it takes a full minute. <laughs> they have a full, and sex in one minute. They manage to get upstairs, unclone, and yeah. have And sex. what's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, well, I mean, and then, 30 seconds, yeah, 30 seconds. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a cigarette afterwards as well. And she was like, when are you coming back? And it's like, um, yeah, whenever, baby. He's <laughs> off. Yeah. <laughs> but I think with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, with that, I think it's more, that feels more like uh, a smut film. It feels like someone's there with a the camera and it's just happening. You're like, yeah, yeah. You know. There's a voyeuristic sense yes. of it. And actually, the voyeuristic um, thing has been applied to Halloween by critics over yeah. the years. I mean, Specifically, you've got obviously the point of view shots yeah, from yeah. Michael Myers's point of view as he um, is stalking, killing people, mm. and, and and this kind of is supposed to make the audience in, uh, complicit in the murders and things like that. Okay. I've never found it like that. No, no, that, that's, that's, no, no I, I, I think the movie is too fun for that. Yeah, and and this is just it's a really efficient way of telling the story. I feel I feel that's probably people going in the time going, you know. Video games make people murder. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a, movies yeah. make people murder. It's just another kind of excuse. People who say that uh, seeing things from Michael Myers' point of view 
is kind of like voyeuristic and you're sympathising with him are the kind of people who don't like horror films and are, are wanting a way to criticise them mm -hmm. finding a way to criticise them it's, it's, it, all this stuff about horror films make people murderers is complete nonsense we all know oh, that it's, yes it is and it's never once been proved by anybody that no. any violent act has been caused by I mean I, I'll agree and disagree at the same time I'm sure that there are some people who, who made teetering already yeah, yeah but they're teetering I already yeah, they're, 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 I think they've they're already in that mindset, they're already having a problem mentally, and then yes, they might be inspired by it, but a regular a regular sane person would not be. No. I mean, I suppose what I'm just saying is I don't think we we should use that argument to absolve filmmakers of responsibility no, for no, what no. they do, not yeah. for other people's actions. Of course you've always no. got to be thoughtful about what you create. Yeah, of course. I but I don't and I actually think when people talk about that about Halloween, it might not just be from the position of I hate horror movies yeah. and I want to blame them for things. Yeah, it true. might be from a position of, I actually don't like horror movies, but I really did like this one, I enjoyed yeah, yeah, it, yeah. so therefore I've got to find a way to intellectualise value into it. Yes. Yeah. Um, what, because just saying, oh, that was great fun and I was really scared, yeah. makes me I think feel silly. For me, the, that, that argument, you know, the, the voyeuristic side of it, kind of falls apart because in the script, He's purely known as the shape. Yes. He's an inhuman, unstoppable killing machine. You're not necessarily supposed to relate to him. I think that came later in the filming where they kind of they added the child life aspect just to give him a, just enough character, just enough character that we you know that we know it's you know it, so it feels real. But and it's, he's a presence. He's he, he's pure evil. Yes. You know, Loomis says he's just evil, and I think that's maybe possibly. Could, because the more we've, the more the films have gone on, the more they've kind of added to his backstory and his motivation, and given him more human motivations. I think that kind of loses a little something. I just think the magic. I think Michael Myers in the sequels diminishes Michael Myers in in the first film. You just don't know really yeah. what he is, and that's what's so fascinating. You mm -hmm. don't know what he is, or why is, is he pure evil, or what yeah. is he, and how and how was he able to drive a car if he's never driven one before, and how was he able to do all these things, and how was he able? He was to doing see... pretty well last night. The <laughs> <laughs> great time. Getting lessons. Um, Something that the Halloween series, uh, not just this first film, but others too, is, has a great line in is um, fantastic one-liners that dismiss plot holes, <laughs> you know, and that's something that you need in B-movies, I think. That's, so a, that's, that's, a pod, that's a podcast all in itself. We're just assuming in this podcast that everybody listening has seen the film. True. And I'm sure that they probably have. Yeah. And if you haven't, we probably are spoiling bits of it. <laughs> but you probably don't mind, because if you can't Spoilers. Yes, but you know, everything is new to true. true. Um but in terms of the kind of voyeuristic camera work that we were discussing, mm. I think it's an indication of what a good director character is. And you mm. know what? That that was my first impression of it. In, when I first saw it in like UK gold screen, it was the first. I only liked horror films, but it was the first horror film I saw, which made me realise that horror films can be interesting from a directorial point of view. Because I was a film fan, I wanted to be a director, yeah. but I hadn't really thought about the idea of making horror movies until mm. I saw Halloween and I saw what he could do with the camera to enhance the story. And as we all know, the movie starts with the. Ten-year-old Michael Myers killing his sister. Yeah, I think so. I think around maybe six. He's about six years old. Oh, is he six? That's yeah. right. Um, <clears throat> and the reason you see the whole scene from his point of view 
is to create a wonderful reveal at the end mm. of the sequence. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, oh my god, this knife-wielding killer is actually a child. Mm. Um, if they hadn't shot it like that and you knew it was a child from the start, it might have been interesting, mm. but it wouldn't have been as powerful, I think. No. Um, and, and I think there is a, an ingenuity to the character's direction, just realising what can be done with the minimal resources that they had. Exactly. It really was minimal. The budget of this movie was $325,000. And the twenty-five thousand dollars was for was for Donald Pleasant, <laughs> and thoroughly earned as well. Thoroughly yeah, deserved. absolutely, and yeah, for Donald Pleasant and his trade. <laughs> <laughs> um, for instance, I, I mentioned that he had a couple of conditions. Something else that he, he kind of insisted on, what probably wasn't at all standard for low-budget movies, was Panaglide, which yes. is the Panavision yes. equivalent of the Steadicam, which resulted in these. Wonderful flowing um, shots, kind of ethereal camera shots, which is perfect for the point of view. Mm. And I think not only the point of view, but there's so many great over-the-shoulder shots in this movie. You know, the shot where Laurie's walking down the street singing the mm. song, yeah. which I wonder if Jamie and Curtis just made up because yeah. they probably couldn't yeah, afford probably, probably. the right to any actual song. I wish I had you all along. Just the two of us And Michael Myers is just watching him and you just see him in the side of the frame. Mm. You just see his shoulder on the side of his head. Mm. Um, that's just such a great shot. Yeah. Um, and so imaginative. Uh, and the whole movie is kind of lensed with that kind of visual flair. Um, I, I think it just speaks to his brilliance as a director. And I also should say, you know, that that might not be entirely just down to him. I'm sure that a great part of that was Dean Condy, the director of photography mm. as well, who'd never worked with Carpenter before. But they obviously had a meeting of minds. I mean, he is one of the great Hollywood cinematographers now, if you look back, because he, he went on to do so many movies that were visually daring. Back to the Future... Uh, who framed Roger Rabbit? Jurassic Park. You know, he, he, he virtually pioneered uh, the technique, which must be so bizarre as a director of photography, mm. of shooting movies in which major characters are just not there. They're going to be animated later, or they'll yeah. be added in later, yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and all Precursor to your CGI stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. now that's every director of photography's job.
interrupt the flow of our discussion here because we've had a very happy uh, arrival, the wonderful Steve Timms, who's going to be our second special guest for this particular podcast, and he's going to be coming back to discuss later films in the series as well. Hello, Steve. Hello. Thanks for having me. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Greetings. <laughs> Welcome to the show, sir. Um, we have to have a podcast, so I don't really know what to expect. Well, thanks for asking What I asked Howard and uh, Dan at the start of the podcast uh, was how they first encountered this movie and what their connection to the series of, of Halloween is. And also just to tell the, the, the listeners a little bit about themselves. So can I ask the same question to you, please, Steve? Well, I'm a professional daydreamer who kind of uh, writes um, film reviews for uh, a website called Storgy. Oh, um, fantastic. I'm just a mine of useless trivia. <laughs> That's what we want to hear. So tell us about how you first encountered Halloween. Well, I mean, I think I probably wasn't old enough to see it. I mean, God, this is the year of the X certificate, isn't it? The 1970s. Mm. Um, even just seeing that X on, on a film poster scared me. <laughs> it, just, it just looks so like, um, like scary. Like, oh my God, what, an X? Right. Um, so did you see the movie at the cinema? Well, well, I would have been too young to see it when it came out, but I, I remember um, watching the Barry Norman review it and thinking, God, that looks really freaky. And then, I think it, it was out at the same time as this film with Anthony Hopkins, where he played sort of a mad ventriloquist. Oh, Magic. Like, yeah. Yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. film. So that was on like the same um, film, on the 78 same. episode. Actually, I remember that, you know. I remember it being, now I'd be very young. Uh, and I don't know why I was watching film 78, it would be then, because it's, you know, I don't know why I'd be up that late. Mm. But I do remember, uh, they talk about Halloween, or at least I think I, I think I remember. Mm. And the scene they showed, the kind of it, was where he kills the dog. <gasps> where he's standing yes, outside. Yes. And, sort of, and I'm sure that's a scene, and I had no idea what the film was about. I didn't know until years later. But I do remember it being on film. So it might have made an impression then. Mm. Not in your head, wow, that looks, that, that looks scary. And you started yeah. killing small and animals from there. And <laughs> dogs and we're going out <laughs> to uh, rhinoceroses. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all been fun. Well, so how did you eventually see this, Pete? Uh, I think when it was on the, uh, it came out on VHS, which must have been in the early 80s, a friend of mine said, oh, it's, you've got to watch this film. And we, we did actually watch it at, at my uh, house uh, in, in Oldham on Halloween. And I, I was kind of really freaked out. It really had, uh, disturbed me, I think. I think it was the... Well, the steady cam shots were something I've not really seen before. The, the, this idea that the, the, the camera is the killer you know, mm. was really... You, that kind of puts you right in the film, really. And, and it just... I don't really know that, I mean, how new that technology was at, at the time. I guess it was, it was very new. Really. It was yeah. pretty new. I mean, the steady cam is in, like, Rocky. A few oh, earlier films, yeah. you know, the famous scene where Rocky runs up the steps yeah. is a steady cam shot, but um, but it was pretty new. And Carpenter, I think, was very forward thinking and kind of insisting that they have that because it wasn't a standard thing. Um, and I think Carpenter saw potential in it to to use it to its fullest for this film. Um, thus, it's great that you said that because that's kind of exactly the point that we'd got to, Steve, in terms of talking about the uh, those shots in the movie. It's the um, first, the first scene where, where the first um, murder, um, and you kind of hear they see the, the 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 knife attacking. It's the sister, isn't it, Michael yeah. Myers? Then the the twist within the first five minutes that the killer is actually a child, mm. 
It, that was, I thought that was just shocking, really. It just yeah. really unnerved me. What's interesting about that sequence is you hear the knife going in, but you don't see it. Yes. Because yes. it's obscured by the mask. And that's what Halloween is all about. It's not about seeing the knife going no. into the it's body. Not it's not about, not about that. It's not that sort of film. It's, it's all about what's in your imagination. I tell you what, I remember um, when I first saw it, as I've, I explained earlier today to these guys, um, I first saw it on a UK gold screening in the late 90s. And the interesting thing was I keep going on about the, the use of widescreen and the frame. It was obviously cropped for TV. Was on that pan and scan. Pan and scan <laughs> in those days. But it still worked. Yeah. It was so good. I didn't actually see it in widescreen until I was at uni some years later and we had to watch it early on the course. It was one of those movies we had to watch yeah, yeah. on the big screen. But it still worked incredibly well and, and you could still, the visual um, choices that Carpenter made still were so powerful. And I think that, um, yeah, the, the reveal of the child as the killer at the start is a shocking reveal and it's all the more powerful because it's done so visually because you've seen everything from any point of view and mm-hmm. then suddenly it was when you see him. Yeah. I mean, um, I think, Dan, you watched the making of documentary. I did, um, yeah, yeah. I think it, it might be in that. There's obviously several. Yeah, there's a yeah. Made I think it's behind, behind something, I think it's called or something. I can't remember. Um, anyway, um, certainly there's something I watched recently where people kind of pointed out that, that, that shot where it's revealed that the kid is really chilling. But it's kind of apparent that the parents are just standing there. Yeah. <laughs> they don't do anything, especially the mum. She kind of looks like she's not really bothered. She's mm. sort of standing there holding her hand back. But it, to yeah, me, but I think that works because that's just like a tableau, and that's yeah. the idea that this is not realistic. True, yeah, true. No, no, the camera no. just pulls back, and the shock of what you've just seen is allowed to sink in. Mm. And yeah, they do just stand there, and perhaps it does look a bit weird, but then, then you can understand why. But no, it's, so this it's is... kind of design, the camera pulls back in this eerie floating way, and it's it is a powerful tableau, mm. and you're just supposed to look at the still image and the way yeah. the music goes. Like well, if, it, if you're talking about why Halloween is such a great film, you have to talk about the music. Of course, yes. the music yes. is yeah. brilliant. Of, oh. of course, we do, and we will. Oh, right. Right. We'll talk about that later on. I want to go into order. Something else I want to say though is that on my very first viewing, something that I remember feeling in the first scene is when he stabs his sister to death for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> He does not look at his sister, he looks at his hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously that's because yeah, yeah. if he didn't do that, the audience wouldn't, couldn't, probably couldn't really tell what was supposed to be happening. Yeah. Um, and I just went, I just remember thinking, fine, I understand. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a movie. Uh, the next thing I'd like to talk about, and we've already kind of touched on it, but just how important Jamie Lee Curtis is to the movie, oh, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, um, I think it's Kim Newman who says, that it's a misinterpretation that the movie Halloween is about Michael Myers. It's not, it's about Lloyd. Mm-hmm. And I think you can kind of tell that because if you locked off the first two scenes, which we've just discussed, mm-hmm. the, the killing of, of the sister in the flashback, mm-hmm. and then the, the escape from the asylum, you could actually start the movie when Laurie comes out of the house. Yeah. It's all about Laurie. Um, and in a weird way, if you did that, you wouldn't necessarily know it was a horror movie yeah. straight away. Yeah. But I think you'd get into it because the way that she she interacts with Tommy, the little boy, is so engrossing. You think, oh, this is a fun drama about a babysitter. You know that bit where she walks along the road and he's saying, can we watch the monster movies? Can we make jack o mm-hmm. And she, you, you know, it's so nice. Mm-hmm. And I remember I showed this movie to my nephew, um, who was about... 
11 or something. Mm-hmm. And he, to be honest, he didn't really get it. And he didn't really like horror movies. No. But I remember him watching that scene and he just said, she's a nice lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, she's, she's so engaging. Right? Yeah. Um, Halloween night, it's when people play tricks on each other. It's all make-believe. I think Richie was just trying to scare you. I saw the boogeyman. I saw him outside. There was nobody outside. There was. What did he look like? The boogeyman. We're not getting anywhere. All right. The boogeyman can only come out on Halloween night, right? Right. While I'm here tonight, I'm not about to let anything happen to you. Promise? Promise. I mean, she is the nice girl. She's the good girl, but yeah. she brings something else to it as well. Yes. She's not blandly sort no. of. There is. She has a personality. A lesser right. actress would, yeah. Have, yeah. would have just done what was required, but she really does. Yeah, she have, just brings something extra yeah. to it. She can be a little bit sarky as well, and she can be a little bit sort of a tarantula man. Yeah. It was a neutron man. Neutron man. man. <laughs> and kind of like, and, and you kind of said when, when she's sort of like kind of doing things with the kids, there's that slight sense of God. I, I wish I was doing something, you know, I'm a bit bored here looking at these yeah, kids, yeah. I wish I was someone else. Yeah, she goes, I think she said she sees them, you know, the cheerleader having sex with a boyfriend, not not actually, but no. they go into the house, <laughs> and she's like, she's like, everyone's having fun. Yeah, and, yeah. And then the kid, the, if I was the kids, I'd be like, fuck you, like, <laughs> we are having fun. So yeah, she brings something, she's just a great actress, she's yeah. a really good actress, that's, that's what it is. Mm. Uh, and she, yeah, she is appealing, and... and well, she's, she's had a great career since. Yeah, like, yeah. This, is, this was her big break, and that's, you know... And she wasn't the first choice. She wasn't first no, choice. Exactly. An yeah. actress called Anne Lockhart was the first choice. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, Anne Lockhart never really made... She, she's been in Murder, She Wrote about 20 times. Yeah. And so has everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, every actor in America's been in it. Uh, and she's, yeah, she doesn't have the same... You know, I've seen... Yeah. She's, she's a perfectly competent actress, yeah. but she doesn't have that star quality. Yeah, something about thing it. that Jamie Lee Curtis has. Mm. And it's How old was Jamie Lee Curtis? She was about 20, wasn't she? I think she was 19 or 20. Yeah, late teens, I think. I remember seeing her in, I'm ashamed to admit mm. that I've recently watched repeats of Book Rogers in the 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is something to be ashamed of. <laughs> <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure, but she was in, she was in an episode of that, and I remember her in uh, this TV show called The Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. Oh. So she was like a jobbing actress, yeah. you know, as a, as a teenager. Well, as a, as a Columbo fan, I have to mention she's a waitress in Colombo. Oh, <laughs> oh, and she's brilliant. She, no. she says her two lines perfectly. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. She's <laughs> I mean, yeah, this was her first major... Well, this was her first film, introducing yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis as yeah. Laurie, it says in the yeah. titles. Um, she'd done a bit of TV beforehand, and I think Carpenter and Hill were pretty upfront about the fact that, you know, they knew she was Janet Lee's daughter yeah. and it was a publicity angle. Yeah, Owen yeah. Blans, the executive producer, knew mm-hmm. that as well. And he says in one of the documentaries, you can't buy that kind of publicity. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 well, of course, there's the psycho connection, isn't there? Really? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and, and she knew that. At the same time, they realised, I think, gradually that she's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, after the first day's mm-hmm. filming, John Carpenter rang her up personally to say, thank you so much, you, you're great. Um, and she thought she was terrible and she thought he was going to fire her. Um, but I think she is such a, a strong centre to the movie. And it's weird that later on she became such a big movie star, mm. like a mainstream star, and she cut her hair. So, in a way, the later Jamie Lee Curtis almost seems like a different person to me. Almost, yeah. I guess. Um, but I love that 
this is where she started, and she's never been ashamed of that. No, she never has. In fact, yeah. she, she said in, in all those because she was in a few horror films, she's in yeah. Terror Train and Prom Night, Night and things yeah. like that. And she always says, in those films, I was always strong and independent. And mm. It's only in the later films I had to take all my clothes off and yeah. play the bimbo and stuff. Yeah. Uh, in, in the horror films, I was always playing strong characters, and she is. She's certainly a strong character in that. I think I think that's kind of where some of the horror, like Halloween, invented some of the horror tropes, like for good or for bad. I think one of them is the being a virgin means well. You this survive. is. This is one of something I want to talk about because yeah. I, again I think that's nonsense. Yeah, the, the idea that so there's a kind of reactionary conservative thing going yeah, on that exactly. if you have sex you yeah. get punished for it. Yeah, it's like well no because the person doing the punishing is a homicide maniac. Yeah. Surely you're not saying what he's doing yes. is yeah. right or anything like that. And and also he's trying to kill Jamie Lee Curtis. If Jamie Lee Curtis in the film is a virgin or not, he's trying to kill her. Yeah. So and exactly. also we don't actually know that she is a virgin. No, it's not actually said. So no. all of these things. Mm-hmm. Sort of uh, that that is that is uh, again that might apply to later films. I don't know, but it, yes. it's not something you can apply I mean, to this fr- film. Friday, not... I think it's almost explicit with the fr- the further the Friday the Thirteenth films go on. It's almost like if you get if you have weed, smoke yeah, yeah, yes. get drunk and have sex, this count you're gonna die. Um, but it almost becomes a parody of itself mm-hmm. that, uh, towards the end. And I think people have sex just so they can have a sex scene in it. It's yeah. a bit of a, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of unity. See anything you like? Yeah, and. Yeah, and also yeah. Pete Grey Souls um, was an established, not star, but no. she was a known she was in Cal, and she? She, she was gorgeous. Mm. And what else has she been in? I've she's not in, really seen her in one shelf. Apart she's from in Carol. the Ramones, wasn't she? Then? Oh yeah, 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 Rock and Roll High School. Yeah, she's in that. Oh well, you you know more than me to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, I only know her from this um, and Carrie, and uh, later on. She turns up on a lot of documentaries about Halloween. She oh. narrates some of them. Oh. But, um, totally. Yeah, you know, but I still think... Uh, no, she is very good in that role. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know... Um, and Nancy Loomis, despite being the oldest teenager in town. Yeah. Uh, she's still... It's like the It's like the Well, you know... She's uh, elderly teenagers in movies. Yeah, well, you know... That's, that's true. I, I heard. I heard a story. I read. I read a little. I went, was on the IMDb and just reading a few facts. And one of the facts was uh, PJ Souls was in a was in a cinema screening for Halloween. And the line comes up going, "See anything you like?" And some guy went, "Hell yes, I do." <laughs> and she was with a boyfriend, and a boyfriend at times, Dennis Quaid. Oh, right. Good heavens! Yes, I believe it or not. And he he was like, "Do you want me to?" Talk to Duffy her. She's like, no, it's hilarious. Yeah, no, no, she knows what she's doing. Yeah, she's quite open in the making of documentary about how Carpenter was quite tentative in saying, you know, do you, would you mind taking your top off in this scene? Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, of course I won't mind. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and even, then, it's, even then, it's not gratuitous, though. It's not, it's like, no. there's a, a, like half a nipple here and that. It's, yeah, not, it's, it's not, not blatant, here's all of my breasts. It's kind of, it's like, it's sheepishly and, and playful and, and, you know, sensitive to, you know, to a point. Yeah. And then she's brutally murdered. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, she's not brutally murdered. No. That's the thing. She just gets strangled with a... Not very tight telephone wire, <laughs> as you can see, is not actually. Again, it's not about. That's what it's not about. Yes. The killing. He just kills her because he's done his job. He's done his thing when he's got his sheet on, and now he just has to get rid of it because that's what he. Well, I think this is where the the Hitchcock connection comes in. Like we look at things like you could argue maybe even Psycho is a slasher movie, yeah, if sure. you will. But again, with that, you don't see the penetration no. of the knife. You don't see blood really. Well, you just obviously see some blood. It's not like. 
yeah, yeah. spurting yeah. out of them or anything. Nothing gratuitous like you know later slasher movies. But it's so and it's so artistically done. But it's in the shots as well in the cinematography. Um, I think they also mentioned Chinatown as a inspiration of the cinematography because again that's very much like everything's nice and sunny. It's got this this lovely kind of Rockwellian veneer, mm. but underneath is this seedy underbelly of this dark some dark forces at work, which is very much you know what the film has. Yeah, yeah. And um, one thing that really struck me when I first saw it, and I think. There are still very few movies which follow it, horror movies um, that do this, is that so much of it is set in daylight and looks so nice and peaceful and tranquil. And that's where the suspense is. And um, I think Hamilton, in an interview with Clive Barker's A to Z of Horror, which was a great late 90s horror retrospective TV show, which I remember enjoying a lot, he did kind of uh, explain that and said that he realised that if you can make the audience scared when everything looks nice and safe and bright, and then you turn out the lights, mm. they're going to be so much more scared. And, and that was brilliant. I, mean, I think Carpenter's fantastic quote was, um, uh, then you can create fear. Lots of fear. <laughs> 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 well, it is. I mean, all the stuff in the daylight is just him following people around. Yeah. At one point, he follows a little boy around. Yeah. They trip him over, and he squashes his pumpkin, and he's walking yeah. forlornly away. And... Michael Myers gets in the car and just follows him round. Doesn't do anything. No. He just follows him round. And he, just, that he, just, sort of, he grabs all the bullies and yeah, he gets, just, it's like boom. And the yeah. kids absolutely shit himself. <laughs> and I love the fact that for the whole film, really. I mean, we talked about the fact that Michael Myers is an interesting character because you don't know what he's about, and you don't really know why he's. Fo- I mean, you know that he's obviously uh, he's got a homicidal past yeah. and da da da. But why is he following these particular people? You know, the, the only connection really with Tommy and Laurie, I know that later sequels mm. invent other reasons, but yeah. they happen to come up to his house at the start of the movie. Yeah. yeah. And he sees them, and that's it. But I, I was wondering if it's the bit, you know, where he's driving along, and so he can say, hey, jerk, speed kills. And he stops. Yeah. Thought, right, is that the scene where he thinks, right, I'm going to get those mm. people? They're, they're, they're having a go at me, so I'm going to. I kind of see, when it comes to Tommy, I kind of see. He, he's like we were saying earlier that there is this childlike quality to Michael I think he wants a playmate yeah to some degree like he like the the actors that play Mike the actor who plays Michael and the actor the young Michael and Tommy don't look that dissimilar yeah really yeah. I think yeah. Maybe, yeah. He sees, maybe he sees himself there and he's like because he still has that childlike mentality I think yeah I think he's like oh yeah you know why don't we play and this is how I play do you want to, you know, are you, are you, are you, are you into this? I play with knives. <laughs> I, play, I play with big blades uh, and killing bait scissors, you know. Uh, so I think, I think that's how I see it. But yeah, there, um, you could invent, that's what's great about it, so obscure and vague. Well, that's it. The thing is, I don't know. Yeah. That's one of the things about Michael Myers. I in the first film... We never know. We and never know. When the first film was made, it was the only one. They didn't know it was going to be any other, so it's only what happens in that first film. In the first film, I don't know why Michael Myers does mm-hmm. what he does. I don't know if he's evil, or if he's just mad, or what, or is he some kind of supernatural force. I don't know. I, that's what's so great about it. I don't know. I don't know what he's, why he's mm-hmm. doing these things. I think Barry, well, no- Barry Norman said in one of his reviews that... Carpenter frightens you not with what happens so much as with what might happen. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Um, um, there's a great scene where, where you know PJ Shells has been killed and she's been on the phone mm-hmm. and just been ah. Yeah. And Jamie Lee Curtis walks across, slowly across from one house yeah. to the other house. And it it's a long, slow scene. Yeah. And, and all the time while he, she's walking up to it, you think, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Yeah. What's she gonna find in there? What's we don't know. We don't know that where the dead bodies are or anything like yeah. that, or what's happened yeah. here. And it's it's so kind of 
agonisingly slow because you think, and all the time your unease is, is yeah. building up. Which all is you know is, is, I find that sequence so frightening and so moving in the strange way because all you know is that she should not go in there no, no. and that something bad will happen if she does and yeah. she doesn't realise that she's going into the lion's den. And I just feel, and she's so brave mm. because she's only going over there to, because her friend, she can't, she doesn't can't come to contact, a friend and yeah. she's concerned. But she doesn't know that she's actually going into mortal peril. And, mm. I, and I, I just think it's a brilliant sequence. Also, the other thing about the, the murder of PJ Souls, which I just want to mention before we move on, is that the actual, like you're saying, Howard, the actual murder, the killing, where she's, she's wearing a pair of glasses over mm-hmm. that sheet. That's yes. right, yeah. That's it does remind me of Eric Morecambe, that. I just <laughs> <laughs> that. That's yes. when he goes like that. <laughs> I mean, well, does Michael Myers have a sense of humour? Is he having a jape there, a jolly that's jape? That's what we think. That's what we think, yes. It's his sense of humour. He's got a rather strange sense of humour. It's Halloween night. He's playing Halloween tricks on people. This idea of trick or treat. Yeah, how else would he get around in daylight wearing a mask? Yeah. How, you know, without, you know... Just not people not going. He's weird. Yeah. Uh, you know. Oh, that's yeah. Captain Kirk. William Shatner looking very pale. I think perhaps this is maybe the point to discuss the mask actually. Well, apparently the, the mask they used was was a William Shatner Captain Kirk mask, which was turned inside out and painted white, I believe. Um, uh, yeah. So this is that the, the face of Michael Myers, really, but. Um, and yes, it, that is apparently the case um, because they had so little money, they just went to a Halloween shop and the, um, the, the production designer Tommy Wallace just bought whatever was there and they tried each one and decided that Shatner was the scariest. I, do th- I can understand that. <laughs> there is a theory, there is a theory that actually the reason. Because I know that they, they took the William Shatner Kirk mask and they, they painted it and they cut out the eyes and they did, did things to it to make it creepier. But it, even if they hadn't done that, it probably was quite a morose expression. Mm. You can just kind of tell. It was still and pretty that, creepy before yeah. the changes. But there is a theory that actually maybe that mask was taken from a mould of Shatner made for the film The Devil's Reign. Where oh my God, I've seen, seen that. Yeah, so, and, yeah, I'm quite a fan of it. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I think they were powerful. Any film with Ernest Borgnine as the devil has got to be worth watching. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. And that feel like uh, John Travolta. John Travolta and Anton LaVey, Chief Minister of the Church of Satan. Um, <laughs> and, and when you've got that in your credits, yeah. you know. Um, wow. But no, Shatner plays a satanic cultist who melts at the end of the film. All the satanic cultists of melt, course. of course. <laughs> so, so there was um, obviously plaster casts of all the actors' faces were made, and the company who oh. made who did that was Don Post Masks, who then oh. made, made Halloween masks. Right. So they reckon it was. Pro- they just went. They thought, hmm, we want to make a, a Captain Coke mask. Shall we get Shatner in to do a? a ca- <laughs> no, we've got this one here. He, he, yeah, this will do. He's playing a depressed. Self-hating Satanist, <laughs> but, but we'll just use it. But so, they're obviously very ambitious. They thought the film was going to be such a big smash that people would want to buy masks of the Devil's Reign character. <laughs> <laughs> I think Robert Kids Carl, love it. Yeah. <laughs> I think Bob Hughes, the director of the Devil Devil's Reign, probably wishes that that had been the case, or rather, he, he alas, he did before he passed on. Okay, so you know we've got this far talking to the movie, and we've not really discussed. Donald Pleasant of the character of Dr. Loomis. I mean, I said a minute ago that um, the movie's not about Michael, it's about Laurie, and I think that's true. Mm. 
But obviously, but weirdly, Dr. Loomis is the star of the movie. Donald Pleasance is the guy who gets his name up the yeah, title. Yeah. It's kind of fairly well known that he was not the first choice for the role. Yeah, oh, I think right. there were several kind of big name. Well, Peter directors. Cushing and Christopher Lee were both offered yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, Peter Cushing didn't want to leave Britain. He didn't like leaving no. the film. Well, weirdly, we... Obviously, myself and Howard talk about Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee films on our other podcast. And the last film we discussed... Uh, was Star Wars, mm. which was Cushing's immediate film prior to this. Mm. And John Galtus, apparently when they offered the role to Cushing's agent, Cushing's agent says, no, since Star Wars, Peter Cushing is starring in movies now. They, make, they want to make movies about him. He's not just going to be in a movie. And um, I just think that agent was such an idiot. Yeah, Although yeah. I, can, I can understand that on paper, the role of Dr. Loomis possibly didn't look like much. I, I think mm. that when you watch the movie... It is a co-starring thing between Donald Pleasance and Jamie Lee Curtis. I think it's yeah. almost like two movies. Yes. They yeah. never really meet, and you switch between one and the other mm. kind of throughout. Mm. But I think that he carries his scenes kind of wonderfully. Well, I was going to say, yeah, Peter Gosling and Christopher Lee were the first choices. I think they're both great actors, but I'm glad they turned it down. Yeah. Because Donald Pleasance is perfect for this. I think it might, it might have been mm. too... Like, like, they kind of created a new genre, a new style of American horror. Yeah. And I think that's... It, was, it would almost be like... They would, you know, that's that old gothic yeah. English, you know, which is just as good, just yeah. as great, just as important. But I think that would have muddied the the film's kind of feel. It's not really their thing. Certainly not no. Peter Cushing's thing. Yeah. He would have been out of his depth, I think. And also, Peter Cushing is is such a reasonable. The Donald Crescent brings a kind of neurotic yes. thing. He's, you know, when the yeah, chef's talking to him, he's quite nervous, like, anyway. He's, he's, the eyes. Yeah, yeah sort of, Donald Crescent always has that slightly twitchy quality that sort of brings. Mm. So when the chef's talking to him, say, oh, evil, there's, you know, there's a madman. Kind of, you sort of go, well, you know, I, I don't know whether I believe you. If Peter yeah. Cushing said it, you'd believe it. If Christopher yeah. Lee said it, you'd believe it. Mm. Donald Crescent says it, it's like, I, I don't know, are you the madman? Kind of, well, you know, that's, I, think that's, I think that's the good thing, is he's kind of, he is... As just as mad in some ways, he's, he's sort of obsessive. Yeah, right? obsessive. Yeah. This is the the white Ahab and the white whale, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of like he has to stop this unstoppable evil. And you know, even in that last scene where he's like, you know, he he get you know the shape or Michael gets up and he he knew he kind of knows it's going to happen. He kind of expects it to mm-hmm. happen. And it's brilliant. And he's all of his scenes are just great. Yeah, he's, he's a brilliant. He's a brilliant. Somehow he knew he was able to divine from many years ago that Michael Myers was no longer just a human being, but mm. something else. And and obviously that's not a skill that you get taught when uh, when you're in medical school. No, he's, he's, the worst, he's the worst psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, yeah. I've i tried to help him for eight years, but then I realised he's pure evil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it only took eight years of it. <laughs> and I, I think it was Kim Newman who said um, that, you know, obviously, it, in psychological terms, everything Dr. Loomis says is ridiculous. Yeah, and I've, I, I, I have friends who are like counsellors and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and have watched it and just not got it because it seems like such a stupid yeah. version like, of that. Me- in, in mental health terms, it's yeah. very backwards. <laughs> but, but it's brilliant in terms of setting up oh, yeah, the yeah, villainous yeah. character. And um, in terms of Donald Pelosi's casting, um, yeah, Gambit wanted Cushing and Lee because he was a fan of the Hammer films. Yes. It was Irwin Yablans who suggested Donald Pleasance. And Donald Pleasance has a connection to British horror, obviously, mm-hmm. he is British, and he was in some uh, of those kind of movies. There is a movie with him and Peter Cushing called The Flesh and the Fiends. Okay. Um, but he, he was never really, he was only in one Hammer film, and it's not a horror film. Um, Have you seen him in uh, Dario Argento's Phenomena? 
No. Mm. Which is a, is a, a horror film. That, and, then, and apparently the role was actually offered to Orson Welles. Really? But he actually dropped out due to ill health, so Donald Pleasant's got that again by default, really. Ah, right. But he's brilliant playing... Um, Everyone's favourite second choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he plays uh, a, an entomologist who studies insects, and he has this... Um, he's in a wheelchair, and he's got a pet <coughs> chimpanzee who... He's like his care assistant. It's like so weird. Oh, okay. like the, the, the monkey pushes him around in this wheelchair. But again, that is a film about a serial killer. Uh, and um, when was that made? That was about nineteen eighty-six. Right. Um, yeah, that's worth checking out. A bonkers film, but but again, he's brilliant in that. And when when his character goes like about halfway through, the film kind of takes a bit of a nosedive. Mm. Yeah. His presence is kind of missed. Right. Um, Donald Pleasant is a very modern. Horror star. He's not a period horror star. No. Mm. Peter Cushing just like like looks as horror star. Like, yeah. They're in period costume. They do yeah. Dracula, Frankenstein. Yeah. Where Donald Pleasant is a very modern, urban kind of horror yeah. star. He fits into yeah. Halloween, the world of Halloween, much better than any of the other yeah. horror stars would, I think. Wasn't well, he in one of those um, Amicus anthology films? Yes, <laughs> he's, a, he, he's in. Um, what he's in the last yeah. Amicus? Yeah, Matt, the one is he's in Match Cell or something. Yeah, he's in that, that and he, uh, yes. In the movie, which is called Howard. What's the movie called? From Beyond the Grave. Yes, 1974. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, the Dinosaurs. Yes, I remember David that. David Warner, that one. Yeah, it's a great I don't like David Warner. I do like yeah, David Warner. Yeah. Oh, he's, 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 he's the last great living horror star. Yeah. Yeah. See, David Warner could have played. I don't think anyone else could have played Dr. No. Demons, but I can imagine sort of David Warner yeah, I could. I could doing see that, that. I could if Don Pleasant had him on. Well, again, David Warner, he's like Pleasance. He is a modern horror star, but he has a connection to the old classic one. Yeah. He was in that movie, which Peter Cushing is in, um, you know, and, but he was also like three years later in The Omen. You know, he, he's, he's like yeah. the perfect person. Yeah, so he's of that. Donald Pleasant seems like a different generation. Even though he's more or less the same age as yeah. he, he seems of a different generation. He's, 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 modern, he's 70s, 80s horror, not 50s, 60s. Yeah, horror. but weirdly, um, when Cushing and Lee had turned it down and your band suggested Pleasance, the thing that made him suggest Pleasance was that he remembered Donald Pleasance from a movie called Will Penny, which is a western with Charlton Heston. Oh, and I watched yeah. it the other day, and um, Donald Pleasance is terrifying in it uh, as a kind of mad uh, preacher. He's called Preacher Quint. <laughs> um, and that movie, it's kind of quite moving and, and gentle and realistic. Except for the bits with Pleasance in them, because he plays a character who's totally evil for no reason. <laughs> and uh, he's just so scary and so mad. Uh, and he does a voice which is not unlike the one that he does in Halloween. Um, and what I want to bring up now is the question of Donald Pleasance's accent oh. in this <laughs> and other movies. Because I've always taken it that he's playing Dr. Loomis as an American, because mm. it's an American yeah. film, an American subject. And also, and he seems to be doing the same voice which he does as the American president in John Carpenter's Escape yes. from New York. <laughs> yeah. um, You're the Duke, A number one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but a lot of American Halloween fans don't get it. They think he's English. My friend Gareth, who I think most of us know, um, I had this conversation with him and he always thought Dr. Lewis was meant to be English. And, uh, and I said, no, he's meant to be American. And, he, and Gareth went, oh, well, it's a bad accent. <laughs> um, so, but weirdly, a lot of I've heard American film reviewers talk about the Sounds of the Lambs, and they think that Hannibal Lecter is meant to be English as well. Whereas to us, yes, Anthony Hopkins is going, you know, the lambs are screaming, or whatever, yeah. you know. 
Um, and it feels like a really overdone accent. Oh, but maybe that's part of um, the, the English arrogance. Yeah. English actors think they're great at accents, mm. and Americans are, are all dick on dark. Yeah. But maybe that's not so. so nobody's ever any good at accents, really. What do you guys think? <laughs> well, apparently, about Jason Statham has, has made 40 films, uh, and he's never once attempted an accent other than his own. I, his own no, one. no, no. I have seen Jet Li's The One. And it oh, has the worst American accent well, I've ever heard. Yeah. Really? From Jason Statham. From Jason Statham. That's the only yeah. film he's done in America. Yeah, that, that I know of. But really yeah, I, th- I think it was that bad that he hasn't attempted it oh since. Oh my god. Because it's, it's just I've got to see that Well, I know, I th- I've always assumed uh, Dr. Loomis is American, but I know Donald Pleasant is English and he's slightly struggling with his American accent, but I just accept yeah. that. That's yeah. what it is. A lot of actors struggle with I thought his accent was fine. I, yeah. I never. I, it didn't bother him. He's an educated American. Perhaps he studied yeah. in Britain for a while. Well, it's so weird that because Howard Yield, the Columbo fan here, yeah. um, and of course Donald Pleasance is the villain in a great Columbo episode, and he he, oh, he is sort that a of is he a wife? Yes, he's a boy. Yes, yeah. yeah. He his brother. He's doing. He's kind of doing the American accent in that. But they they've kind of written into the scripts that he his character is meant to be half English, yeah. <laughs> so they can get away. Yeah. With yeah. Um, but he, you know that's the one where he goes. <laughs> they don't make good wine. They don't even make good mouthwash! This <laughs> 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 liquid filth! Um, I mean, what I think about Pleasance's accent in all of these things is that I don't know how accurate it is. I don't even really know where the characters are meant to be from. Yeah. They're sort of. He does, he's vaguely kind of Southern American, it seems to be mm. the voice that he does. Yeah. But I think mm. it never stops you believing in the character. Yeah. No. You know, with some actors and they're trying accent. They're so busy doing the accent that the performance is yeah. very good. I mean, but, look at look at Al Pacino and Scarface. His accent is all over the place. Oh, but, okay. But you you buy into him as this you know ex Cuban you know drug lord that's kind of made him up and built himself up. Like you never you never stop believing the performance. Yeah, the accent comes and goes, but you're you're still invested in his rise and you know snorting of cocaine and getting out of his little friend share yeah, no to my little friend <laughs> uh, you know I've never seen Scarface so it really must it, it's, it's, so, it's one to watch it's, it's kind of unhinged isn't it yeah, yeah. It's, it's, but, um, it's a bit mental really? yeah it's a bit mental but uh, it's definitely one to watch nice one if um, you're a good actor you can get away with perhaps not an entirely convincing yeah. accent well, there's a whole untouchables question, isn't it? I mean, Sean Connery won an Oscar <laughs> for... There was no reason for them to say my, his character was an Irish beat cop. Yeah. Yeah. Why bother with that? It, 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 yeah. Sean Connery you know, can do anything in my book. You know, yeah. So yeah. Why does it make him Scottish? Well, yeah. they wrote that in. Yeah. Yeah. He attempted an Irish accent for maybe the first five minutes yeah. and then just didn't bother after that. He does one but, line in an Irish accent when he goes, the Laird hates a coward. <laughs> <laughs> But people just overlook that, didn't they? And so, I've, oh, I've heard so many London actors do bad Northern yeah. accents in TV yeah. series and films over the years, and yeah. these things are just, it's not. It's, it's, I think it's forgivable. Yes. I think it's a forgivable sin. Mm. Yeah. I, I love it, I think it contributes to his slight strangeness. Yeah. yeah. Talk about Dr. Loomis. I think I think he really does bring across like a very. I think he said to Carpenter, he's like, I don't want a past, I don't want an origin, I don't want that. I just want to be the character, be the presence, be the quote unquote angel to Mike Myers, devil, so to speak. Um, but you can tell, like in his performance, he he does seem like unhinged. Like he really seems, you know, a little bit, you know, tweaked. And, and it's kind of worn down by years yeah. of trying to sort of cure this 
He's, he's so really. cynical about, you know, the, that's why he's such a bad psychologist. Yeah. I guess he feels that he's so failed, cynical. doesn't he? He's yeah. failed in his profession. He, I think he, he says he's tried. This person. I think he says something like he tried eight years to cure him, and then another nine years making sure he was locked yeah. up. Yeah. So they were like, he's like, I don't want to get out. A lot of paperwork there. That making everybody go nuts, wouldn't it? So a little while ago, Howard, you mentioned the music to the film. Do, 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 do. When you know the scene we were talking about, where she walks over from her house and she's going to the house and she doesn't want to go to bed. The music is doom, doom. How simple is that? Four notes, and yet it's so doomly, it's so effective. It, it's John Carpenter has been one of the best directors in the world at the time. He was also one of the best composers at the time. The music for Assault on Precinct 13 is brilliant. The music for The Fog is brilliant. Escape from New York is brilliant. And the, the music in this is, it adds to it. So like Psycho has got that very distinctive music. This. And but he says do 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 do. It's so kind of simple, and yeah, yeah it, it works. So incredibly effective. I think scares you probably even the film started. Who said to him, do, do, <laughs> yeah. do, my, do my score. <laughs> I, behind him. I, I would love to have been in the room on that conversation because it's like you tell one of the best composers in the world to just go, but that apparently that's what, or maybe possibly that that bombard maybe he wrote, yeah, actually maybe. is Carpenter. Yeah, this surprise, it feels, it feels, it sounds like his own stuff, but yeah. just very simple. Same with Jaws, the Jaws yeah. thing yeah. is very simple. So but what's unusual is that at that time that most uh, film scores were, were orchestral based and this is an electronic soundtrack, yes. which is so, I mean it's very common now isn't mm. it, but um, at the time it just felt that was something completely new. I can't. It's, it's alien isn't it, it's mm. completely, it doesn't well, feel it's, natural. It's more tied into sort of like popular um, um, music of, mm. of the period really, mm. rather than influenced by exactly, film yeah. soundtracks. The yeah. film soundtrack tradition, it seems influenced more like 
There's a Black funkiness to it, for yeah. example, or, or it, it's upbeat. That's what struck me when I first watched the movie was that it's so unusual for that theme tune to be kind of upbeat mm. and in five four mm. time, which gives yeah. it a very strange kind of feeling. Um, and I think that it's not just the, the synthesizer sound, but the mixture of a real piano with the synthesizer, oh, yeah. which was I think the contribution mm. of the recording engineer Dan Wyman, um, who probably doesn't get enough credit because it. Well, he, worked, not, yeah. he worked with Carpenter on this score and The Fog and nothing else. And although I love all of Carpenter's scores and I love the ones done with other people, you can really tell the difference in Halloween and The Fog. Necessarily agree, but I think it might be the greatest minimalist score. Mm. It's basically three tracks. They were three very simple tunes, and, uh, and they just mm. repeat those throughout the film. Mm. There's the theme tune, there's the one that you mentioned, right. and then there's the tune that plays underneath Dr. Loomis's wonderful um, The Blackest Eye, The yeah. Death of Ice. I met this six year old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. And the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. What do we do? He's been here once tonight. I think he'll come back. I'm gonna wait for him. I still think I should notify the radio and television. No. If you do that, they'll see him on every street corner. They'll look for him in every house. Just tell your men to keep their mouths shut and their eyes open. I'll check back in an hour. So now I think we're coming to the end of our discussion about this movie, and the main thing that we've not really discussed appropriately is the ending of the film. Uh -huh. um, I remember when I first watched it, as I, as I kind of explained earlier, it wasn't my first character film. I'd seen The Thing and uh, New York. And I kind of was getting hip to Carpenter's tendency to have ambiguous and or cynical endings. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I didn't necessarily love them, but I thought they were interesting. And at the end of the movie, uh, it looks like, uh, basically, Jamie Lee Curtis fights off Myers and she repeatedly seems to kill him and he always comes back. And I say Myers, I should say The Shape. I'm, Ooh, very, I'm very clear that What's your opinion on, on the mask being removed for like a few seconds? I think it's really the real yeah. Michael Myers. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that was that was a good thing to do. I think that was needed for the end of the movie. Yeah. They they replaced the actor, didn't they? Because they wanted a more quote yeah. unquote angelic face yeah. for Michael. They didn't want to scar. They didn't want him like scarred. There is some scarring because he gets stabbed. I think yeah. by Laurie. Yeah. But the rest of it is very much just a. A general face. I wouldn't call it an angelic face. No, but, I'm not. But, it, but it's it's more Weird. kind of you know it's 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 an odd it's an odd choice. But again, I think that goes back to the the childlike aspect. And that, well, I love the way she basically um, 
He's struggling with Jamie Lee Curtis, with Laurie, and she pulls the mask off as a way to distract him. Or, or yeah, like it's almost like him being emasculate, emasculate, isn't it? Because he's, yeah. he's so yeah, desperate he's to, to pull the ma- mask yeah. back yeah. on. Yeah, and you can see that. It's like his yeah. power is taken away, isn't it? Yeah. Really? And, and I think that's a wonderful touch. Yeah. No, it, it says so much, that, doesn't it? Really? Um, but he always does his killing of the mascot. Yeah. And he can't do it as himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah even as a child. Child, yeah, as a child he has to. Um, is, that, I think, I think, is that his true face? Well, yeah. Uh-huh. Let's say when Halloween was made, it was just that was the story. They didn't know there were going to be any sequels, yeah. so the audience, John Carpenter, I presume, is thinking, well, the audience wants to see what's under yeah. the mask to finish the end of the film. They just see what's under the mask. No mm-hmm. idea that there was going to be any more. That that was the end. Of, you know, Halloween was the story, and that was the end when the Halloween finished. That was the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Michael Myers is still alive, presumably, but you know. Mm-hmm. That, it's a complete thing in itself rather yeah. than a lot leading of, on to another film. A lot of people came back to John Carpenter and said that their scariest moment was the reveal. Mm. And they're like, you know, the mask came off and he was so ugly and hideous underneath. It was, it was terrifying. And, and they were like, there's, there's barely any scarring. That's just a normal yeah. face. And Carpenter said that's just the power of the film and the power of the music and mm. the power of horror. And maybe that's why they wanted that specific actor's face because there's a kind of blankness to it that you mm. can project on. Yeah, you know, I, I just think it's a wonderful moment, and I. But I do remember that, you know, at the uh, at the end, Laurie seems to kill uh, the shape and uh, does it two or three times, and then Doctor Loomis turns up and finally shoots him several times and falls, and you think he's dead, mm-hmm. and then Doctor Loomis goes and looks, and he's not there anymore, and the music comes on, and you can hear him breathing. <laughs> And, um, and I remember that my reaction, I literally talked to the TV when I was watching <laughs> it in 1996 because I was, this is not ambiguous, you can hear him breathing, I, I don't get it, and, 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 I, and I didn't get it, but, I, but something stayed with me, and I later rewatched it and I found an increasingly powerful ending, yeah. and, what, and, and something I found really chilling is not the moment where Dr. Loomis sees that he's gone, mm. and that obviously yeah. he's not dead, but Laurie starts crying, and it's like she realises, without Dr. Loomis saying anything, she realises he's still, the, the shape, Michael, whatever, is can't still kill the, Can't kill the boogeyman. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. And that's such a great horror ending. Uh, and I think it's it's wonderful. What do you all think about the end of the film? Uh, how did well, how no, did I mean, it's, it certainly wasn't uncommon in 1970s horror films to have yeah. an ambiguous or mm-hmm. twist ending. The mm-hmm. Omen ends yeah, with Damien yeah, yeah. surviving. Oh, Rosemary's yeah. Baby ends yeah. with that. Night of the Living Dead ends with the yeah. the hero being yeah. shot. So that's just following a trend as well. Yeah. So that's what you did in horror films in mm-hmm. the 1970s. You had that sort yeah, of the ambiguous yeah, the, bad ending, the bad ending, ending, the yeah. downbeat ending, where yeah. where the bad guy survives or. Or does he? I mean, this is the thing. Did he just get up and then fall yeah. somewhere else? Someone, again, did someone move the body? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't know. This is a this is the thing. Did he get? Did he steal a bulletproof vest when he yeah. broke into yeah. the shop? Yeah. So all those shots don't have any effect on him. And he can, you know, that's what I mean. I don't know. Mm. That's what's so great about that's, it. You that's don't the beauty know, of it. That's yeah. the beauty of it. Halloween too, which I only ever saw at the time. What that kind of starts up like ten minutes after Halloween ends. That's right. Yeah. So it's more or less it just con- the story just continues where where you just. Almost takes um, goes to the hospital and starts randomly yeah. killing people. I don't have very good memories of that film, but I'd have to watch it again. I think. Yeah, it's an interesting one, and we that. will certainly be discussing mm-hmm. it next time. That ending of the first film, although I think it, it it's a perfect ending, it's a complete film, mm. but it does leave you wanting to watch more because well, you yeah. still don't know. 
you don't know where it can go. Um, and you walk telling to and the others and they go in a certain direction, uh, which for good or ill, which we'll discuss in other shows. But what I like now is that they're releasing the new Halloween film, which is um, ignoring all the others. And, I, and I'm, not, I, I'm not excited about that because I think the other films are necessarily terrible and should be ignored. I'm excited about it because it means I can approach the new film with the same feeling that I originally had at the end of the first yeah. film. I have no idea where this is going. Like how it's said, it doesn't, he's not necessarily definitely supernatural. He could have been wearing a bulletproof vest. It could be something else. Um, mm. We still don't know why he was stalking those I mean, people. We, we, do, we see, do we see any bullet holes? Do we see any no, damage? No. So maybe you didn't even get hit. Yeah. Maybe. No, Donald Pleasant is a really bad shot. Yeah. 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 He's thrown back by the shot. Well, yeah. So yeah. it does look like... <laughs> All right. All right. He does like this kind of weird sort of line dance thing, doesn't he? <laughs> 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 he does. He, he, he reacts quite, quite <laughs> romantically. Is that, is that just bad acting or was that deliberate? It's uh, sort of weird pirouette that he does before he falls out the window. He, he does, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just Scottish, maybe, Scottish traditional Scottish uh, dancing. Well, is well, it? It well maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's what Nick Castle brought to it in terms of his physical performance as Myers. Um, and Nick Castle is playing Michael Myers at least in some sections of the new film. Really? They brought him back oh, at wow, age that's 70. Cool. That's cool. Um, but isn't he like a... a a production designer or something. Is no, he's, actual, he, he's a director mm. and he's well, a writer. He, he co-wrote Escape from New York oh, and then right. he went on to direct such films as The Last Starfighter. Star oh, Wars. that's him. Yeah. Um, um, he was the original director of the film that became Steven Spielberg's Hook. Really? Um, and he was replaced, obviously he left the production, I was replaced, yeah. but he still gets a story credit on it because oh. he, he worked on the script for oh, so long. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, and, uh, and also he he wrote the song in Escape from New York, the um, shoot a cop with a gun <laughs> song. Um, he's a multi-talented man, and um, um, you know, and uh, yeah, there's there's uh, because he's been done the new film, he's done a round of interviews, and there's footage of him on YouTube, and he's quite an interesting. Fellow. He also played the beach ball alien in oh, Dark right. Star, John Carpenter's Dark Star, that first his first film. So, what he was in a beach ball. Yeah, have you seen Dark Star? Yeah, or does he do the, those claws that move? Is that, is that him? Yeah, I'm not sure how technically it works out. <laughs> he might just have been in it pushing it along. Oh, but I'm not he's sure. But apparently he, he played the alien. Um, great, does anybody else have anything to say about I, the alien? I, 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 I don't know. Really? Let's mention Charles Cyphers as the sheriff. Yeah. He was part of the John Repertory Company at the time. He's in the bar. He's in the sort of New York. It's Halloween, everyone deserves a one good scare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or several. <laughs> now, he, he's terrific um, in, in, in his minor role, but it's just really perfectly integrated. You know, you yeah, get a good yeah. Sense of the I think he's, he's a really good kind of grounding point for the kind of, there's all this kind of crazy stuff going on, but he's like, you know, I'm a small town sheriff, just do my rent. <laughs> yes, kind of thing. Uh, I think that's really good. And I think it's quite an effective double act, him and Loomis. Mm. And I think that's one of the disappointments of Halloween too, is that it can't carry mm. that on. Yeah. They're, they're both in the film, but mm. they don't really get a lot of time together. Mm. There's a scene um, where they go in the house and there's a dead dog, which we don't see. Mm. It's yeah. presumably been eaten. Mm. He's eaten it. Charles says, a man wouldn't do that. This isn't a man. Yeah, it's wonderful. So this movie was a massive, huge success. It was made for three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, and its uh, U.S. box office take, according to the Internet Movie Database, was forty-seven million. It wow. was the most successful independent movie ever made, 
until the Blair Witch Project, or if you ask some people, they say until Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, <laughs> which was also independent film. I'm not sure exactly what the figures yeah. were, but for a long time, it, it just transformed the industry. It just showed showed what you can do when you have a great person behind the camera, yes. a great team, yeah. great performers, mm. and it can you know. And it wasn't initially; it wasn't much of a success until they got a couple of really good reviews. I think it was Roger Ebert, and then just. Shot yeah. off into the stratosphere and everything. Every it's one of those films that survives by word of mouth. Yeah, it's it's never going to get great reviews from some people because horror films don't. No. Some people don't like some people. But it's one of those films. Oh, I've seen Halloween. Yeah. It's really scary. Well, it's a it's film that people films. will watch again every Halloween. Yeah. It? It's got that sort of built-in yeah. sort of. Um, I watched it again the other night and it still works. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It seems Sorry. to get better because yeah. uh, I don't know. It's, it's you you appreciate the craft, the talent yeah. that, that's making it. Oh, so that was kind of, just remind me that that's another kind of horror trope that they invented was the holiday themed horror. So we had things mm-hmm. like New Year's Day, Happy Birthday to you, Graduation <laughs> Day, graduation April day. Fool's Day. I have to correct you down, the yeah. title is New Year's Evil. Oh, sorry, New Year's, New Year's Evil, you know. Which is great. So, yeah. Which is an even better title, really. But yeah, you, you know, and this prom night, and, you know, you could... A list goes on Friday the 13th. Yeah, I think you've maybe hit on a good point there, Steve, that I hadn't kind of considered. It, not just that Halloween showed film producers that you could spend very little money and make a lot of money by using this kind of subject matter mm-hmm. and this approach, but also that if you set it on a holiday that happens every year, you've got a potential for it to be re-released every year or shown on TV every year. Yeah, the yeah, residuals yeah. keep coming in mm-hmm. and there are so many uh, so many of those movies oh, based around death. Yeah. Mother's Day. Yeah. And Mother's, and Mother's Day, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm, I think I might just go through all of them. Yeah, all in all the holidays. Black Black Chris and um, like Black Chris. I know you were talking at the start about oh, um, you know the, the creation of the slasher genre and mm. stuff. And arguably, I I might I might argue that Black Christmas Christmas invented it, mm. but Halloween cemented it. Yeah, if you popularised. Yeah, and, and I read in a psycho is the first slasher. Film. Yeah, you could say that as well. You could argue that as well. Uh, but but, but I, th- I think slasher films are a particular genre. Yes. In that they are about homicidal maniacs yeah. stalking people and killing off. I mean, if, yeah, if you look, uh, apparently, Black uh, the Halloween was initially a Black Christmas. It's going to be a Black Christmas sequel. Apparently, oh, I've never heard that. Um, you know, that was on IMDb as well. Possibly could be oh. true, could be not true. Oh. But apparently, Carter was a fan. And he wanted to do a sequel, but it transformed into Halloween. Don't know how, how much credence that has, but you can see you can see it from the creepy phone calls, the breathing down the phone, yeah. um, the point of view shots. Like it's all point. I don't think you ever see the killer in Black Christmas. I think no, it's purely no. point of view shots, which is and there's the weird the weird phone calls are so bizarre. Um, but that is a really strong film, and if I think if you like Halloween, you should definitely watch. The original Black Christmas. I, I shall rewatch it. It's, it's so, so strong, such a strong, and it's it, it's nail bitingly kind of intense. Um, I watched it a few Christmases ago, which is blown away. It, I mean, it's got that it's got that element, it's got that voyeuristic thing that we were speaking about. Um, Mar- Margot Kidder, who was Margot also Kidder, in yeah, uh, yeah. Brian De Palma's Sisters, which yeah. is also a good horror. Film. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's definitely a, it's a worthy predecessor to Halloween that I think is. I should rewatch it. It's you know, really strong. I remember when I watched Black Christmas, thinking it's. A slicker film. Yeah. It's it's kind of it looks like more of it. I yeah. don't know if it was a much bigger budget. Maybe it looked more it looked more complete and more com- more like a conventional, well made film. Yeah. And on that note, my final question was going to be: Do we feel 
that Halloween should have stood alone as a single film, or, or, or are we mm. glad that it continued as a franchise? And still does, in fact, to this day, and it's strange, discontinuity well, uh, kind of way. I've not seen many of that. After number three, I kind of stopped. I've not seen any of the others beyond okay. that. I don't, I don't even know how many there are. But I don't Good think Carpenter had them. <laughs> but I don't think he had the rights, does it? Is it Mustafa Akkad who owns the rights? Who Carpenter will probably um, continue making them to, until infinity, really. Uh, Akkad, God rest his soul, who oh, was dead. killed in a terrorist attack in 2005, said he would never stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and now his son continues to make them. Right. Um, Carpenter did sell his rights uh, or his interest in the property after mm-hmm. the third film. Mm-hmm. But he is involved with the new one. And he's doing the music for the new one. Oh. Oh, is he not? Is he directing? No. No, no. He's not directing. He, no. And I, th- mm. I, I think with Carpenter... I thought he was directing. Mm. No. I was but, hoping he was directing. Uh, well, I think with Carpenter, having seen his music gigs in recent years and, uh, and seen the stuff he's been putting out, he's, he lost his love for the filmmaking craft a, a long time ago, but he right. still loves doing the music. Right. Uh, so if music's what he loves and he's contributing it to a way that he loves... Yeah. I think he, he, he prefers to spend his time like uh, sitting on his couch in, in a sort of a, a badly fitting bathrobe watching wrestling <laughs> <laughs> and playing video games. That's how he spends his time. Where have you got that from? Uh, I've only heard this from uh, from someone else, so right. that might be completely erroneous. But, um, I, 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 I think fair, fair play, you can do it. Yeah, well, no, he's, he's got to spend his day smoking, yeah. watching wrestling. You know, yeah. it looks no, good. He's, he's retired. <laughs> no, one of the things I love doing. Well, he did is that film was, was it the, uh, the last one. It was probably about five or six years ago. The Ward. Yeah, it was okay. It's all right. But it'd be a shame that it'd be great if you had one more film in him. It mm. would, but I'm, that's the dream, isn't it? Really. I mean, I love Carpenter and I love all his films, even the bad ones, and I think they're all remarkably interesting. But I just feel like we've been saying if he could just do one more good film yeah. for like twenty years, he's not going to do uh, one. No, he's not. If he's lost interest, then yeah. he won't yeah. anyway. Yeah. So. Although I do hear that his episode of Masters of Horror is great, mm. which oh, is the right. second to last thing he ever directed. Yeah. So. Um, I might check that out. Um, but he was one of the best directors in the world for about six, seven, eight years. How many people can say that? Yeah, he made exactly. some of the best films around. He made a lot of six time, great so. classic films. And a weird, weird talk, we're still talking about yeah. one that was released in yeah, 1978, yeah, yeah. 40 years ago. And his music is so influential. There's so many bands around today, like Boards of Canada, who, who oh, own them. Yeah. I love their music, but they're clearly very influenced by him. You know, yeah. So he's, his music influence is so huge, actually. I think because the, the ending is so, you know, it is open. Like you said, it interested you, interested. Like we've seen, we've, we've all seen the sequels. Mm-hmm. So it must have, it's opened a, a fascination for us to follow that trend, to go, that's really intriguing, that's really interesting. Yes, I want more. You know, do I need more? Probably not. But mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I, I'd like to have seen it maybe taken in a different direction than making it more making him more human, making him more, you know, involving his family and stuff. I think, I think the, the more kind of ethereal and ghost or, you know, pure evil he is, the more interesting he is to me. I do get, I get why they would go that route and make it more about his family and give him more human motivations and, and the backstory and everything. But I think that takes something away from his original, the shape, being yeah. the shape. Um, I think putting too much like I said the childlike stuff's enough for me mm-hmm. I don't think I need all the backstory and where it comes from how he became you know mentally ill blah 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 blah, blah. Um, mm. so I would have liked to have seen it go in a different 
way. I don't know what way you would take that. I don't really have my own ideas on that. But I would like to have seen it in a different light or in different, um, you know, different direction, basically. But I, you know, I I've enjoyed the sequels in various ways, mm -hmm. you know. But um, but There's generally, some... maybe maybe not. I'm not sure. Oh, there's certainly interesting stuff to be had there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of on the same page with mm. you, I think. I think sequels are inevitable. We never really successful film, there's going to be sequels. Whatever, whatever you might think of them, they are going to happen. The first film is a great film, and you can watch it on its own as, as, a, as a great film. The sequels, they do in a way, yes, when you've seen the sequels, they can affect your viewing of the first film. You think, oh, the reason he's doing all this is because she's his sister yeah. or all this and all that. Retroactive but, continuity. Yeah. The first film kind of exists for me on its own as a great film, and the sequels are what they are. And you yeah. know, it's. I mean, sequels are always in a difficult position that you've got to give people what they like from the first film, yes. and at the same time, slightly do something slightly different. Yeah. And that's very that's quite Tricky. difficult to do. Um, and Halloween didn't solve that problem any more than the million other sequels yeah. from that are made from all the other horror films or films. Whatever. Yeah, I think that's a mm. very good point. I think the concept of the third one being just the using Halloween and having a different villain and different characters just just more interesting really and, and if they'd gone down that route of just using the, the banner of Halloween to introduce new scenarios it would have been as a concept really it um, that, would, that would have been more interesting to me I think rather than Michael Myers just going on and on and just forever seemingly indestructible I mean I, I, I don't even you know is he ever killed in the in that H20? I don't, I've not even seen that one. Uh, all, all I will say is, because um, we obviously are going to discuss these movies, but all I will say is that I think there was a clause in the contract that Mustafa Akkad insisted on in the later sequels, which is he must never be killed and we must never see his face. Mm. And I think that takes away two dramatic possibilities that the first film hinted at. So it like, limits yeah. what you can do. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you've got a, a villain who can't be killed, what's the point? Yeah. There's no there's no suspense there because you just no. you can't stop him. So do they ever kind of explain the unkillableness of him? Oh, they sort of tried to. Yeah. Um, but that's a conversation for another <laughs> day. Okay. Um, that's the conversation. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, I think we have discussed. Uh, we've gone wonderfully in depth on an absolutely very wonderful film. Yes, it one, is of great my, film. one of my very favourites, and I hope that this has been interesting for the listeners yeah. who are uh, any fans of the film or people seeking to discover it. Um, it's certainly been very interesting for me to have this conversation, so thank you very much, Dan, Howard and Steve, for <laughs> your contributions. Dear listeners, we shall return with Halloween 2 in a matter of days. You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by T.D. Velasquez and Howard Whittock. With special guests, Spider Dan and Steve Timms. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com, for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages, at AndNowPod, or at LeeCushingPod. Follow us on Twitter, at AndNowPodcast, or at LeeCushingPodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, 
please visit patreon.com forward slash and now podcast. And now the podcast stops.